your vision that tells you why you should do something, why you should seek something, why you should want something. And it's your vision that determines, really, your value system. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church, using the resources of the Kingdom of God. We are currently in the middle of our series, Commissional Church. In today's podcast, Tori discusses the activity of the church, which needs to be driven by a right vision. Here is Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, teaching at Caravan Fellowship in Part 8 of Commissional Church. So we're talking about the church, and we, believe it or not, if you had the overall outline, we're on to the second major point. Okay, so this is the second point of my thesis. So the second point was that having a proper vision of church will guide us to appropriate strategies and means. Last week, so really what we talked about is what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name and to operate in the name of Jesus. And so we have finally come to where the rubber meets the road. This week I want to discuss the activity of the church. Now this won't be the only week that we discuss the activity of the church, but this is the beginning of that conversation. And I would like it to be a conversation um, as we go forward. But first, we need to quickly discuss my assertion that the proper vision will guide us to the appropriate strategies, methods, and means. So, a little bit of theory first, and then we'll get into activities. Okay, so what is vision? We've talked about this actually. The dictionary will tell you that vision is the faculty or state of being able to see. Now, this will take several forms, and of course we often need one of the other definitions that is kind of a derivative of that definition that's in the dictionary. For example, the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom is another definition in the dictionary. Also, a mental image of what the future will or could be like. Anyway, this is often what we mean by vision, I happen to like, well, what I had in mind when I said the proper vision of church was not necessarily the future or planning, but uh, I like the uh, definition I, I heard Dallas Willard use on one of the, the teachings that I have of his. He said, vision is the sense of how things are that grips you, determining your feelings and automatic orientation and action. I wouldn't have been able to come up with that one. So, kind of in light of that, here's another way to reword my assertion. The way we view the church will determine the approach we take acting as the church. So, the way we view the church will determine the approach we take acting as the church. Okay, so if you remember, we were talking about being the church, not doing church. We were talking about an ontological approach as opposed to a behavioral approach. Okay. It comes from ontology. Ontology is the study of being. So an ontological approach is taking the approach as if we're trying to be something, as opposed to a behavioral approach, which is trying to do. So the view of the church will determine the approach we take to acting as the church, to being the church. All right. Uh, I know some of you have read uh, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard, and in it he describes this general pattern of personal growth, and he uses this acrostic VIM, V-I-M, which I, I guess is Latin for something like life. 
you know, we talk about vim and vigor. So anyway, the VIM stands for vision, in his book, Vision, Intention, and Means. And I've talked about this a little bit before. But by way of review, just let me say this. I won't go deeply into it. But having a vision for something is to have a view of it that is desirable to you in a way that grabs hold of you. So that's how it, that's how it fits into that definition. And, but vision alone is not enough. To have what you desire, you must intend to obtain it. So this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his, his righteousness. This is having a thing and an intention to obtain it. That's what seeking is. You only seek for something that you find desirable. You don't go seeking for something that you don't want, or that you don't desire. So it's your vision that tells you why you should do something, why you should seek something, why you should want something. And it's your vision that determines, really, your value system. The way you see things is how you value things. And you might remember I used the idea of a, of a dime and a nickel with a little child. And the, the, the little child always wants the nickel because it's bigger. Because that's the way they see things. Their value system is based on their vision of how things actually are. But when we come to understand currency, our value system changes. Now... There's another aspect of intent that I think is very important and often overlooked when we start talking about desirability of things and things that we desire. And that is what I call informed intent. You've heard of informed consent. I, I, I want to talk about informed intent. So informed intent is, is given as an example in Luke Chapter 14, so 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost? So you remember that? You remember Jesus saying, this is the cost of discipleship, taking up your own cross and following me. He talked about a king that when he's going out to war, he first figures out whether he thinks he can win or not. And if he can't, he sends out a delegation to try to make peace. And this is counting the cost in advance. And uh, so he ends with, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. And so when you find something desirable, for example, I would just really, I've told Naomi for years, I would love to have a Corvette. But whenever I look at the price tag of a Corvette, it's just not that worth it to me. It just isn't. Besides which, well, I don't know where I would keep it. I mean, the, you know, the cost of owning a Corvette is large. I'm just simply not willing to pay that. Do I desire a Corvette? Absolutely. If anybody wanted to give me one, you just feel free. But, or one of the new Camaros. Those are really nice cars. But anyway, something I find desirable. The cost is not something... I have any intention of paying. I might even say, I'm going to have one of those someday. I'm going to get me one of those someday. But the bottom line is, if I'm not willing to actually pay the cost of owning something like that, I have no intention of ever owning a Corvette, as much as I think I might. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, And, and oftentimes we fool ourselves into thinking that we intend to do something, or we intend to obtain something, but we are unwilling to do what it actually takes to obtain it. This can come into the area of 
fitness. Kamala and I are going to, we're stating it publicly now, Kamala, we actually have to do this. We want to run a 10K together this summer sometime. Now, you know what it takes to do it, to run a 10K? It takes a lot of running ahead of time. Uh, the preparation is what gets you. <laughs> and so it takes actually making some choices to arrange our life in a way that allows us to do that. So informed intent is an important aspect of it. So you can't have a serious intention until you know the cost of an action. You cannot have a serious intention until you know the cost. You can have a sincere desire for something, but you will only obtain that for which you are willing to make the required. Okay, you with me? Matthew 13, 44 and 45, Jesus expertly combines these, these ideas. And this is something, when he talks about the kingdom of God, now you might remember, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And then there's another place, this place in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Now, the pearl seeker, he's looking for something. He has, he values pearls. And this is something that is important to him. And so he is seeking for something of value to him. And he is willing to make, obviously willing to make, the required payment to obtain it. Because when he comes across that pearl, he does what is necessary to obtain it. That is vision and intention combined. Okay, you follow me? So this brings us to the means. The means of realizing the vision. And this is, this is the activities of the church. So, the Bible lists many activities of the church. And activities, activities are always means. Activities are always means. Vision and intention is what goes on inside of us. What we do about it is the expression of that vision and intention. If somebody says they want to do something, somebody says they want to run a 10K, and they intend to run a 10K in July, and you never see them running, you really know what they're, you, if they're not training, you know they don't really have a vision for or understand the cost of it. You know, one of the two. They either don't really intend to do it or they have no idea what it actually takes to do it. It's not informed intent. No. So you will not do anything that you don't think is of value. And vision is what gives you value. You don't actually have to think about your vision, right? You don't actually have to even think about what you're doing. You often do things without thinking about it. For example, there's been a few times that I've driven past our exit on an Interstate 94 because I'm simply not thinking about what I'm doing. So we're often doing things that we don't actually even think about doing. And so what's happened is oftentimes we are actually operating on previous vision and intention that has informed our behavioral patterns. And so if we're actually going to change behavior, we have to consciously we have to consciously focus on a vision that says, this is why I'm willing to do the things necessary to change this behavior. Because once we get into autopilot, that is actually just us. It might be a previous vision that we had in the sense that we have trained ourselves to do something. Uh, Timothy has vision, but it's often very small. 
Now, I can't speak for you, Timothy. I really don't know if you do this, but I know a lot of children your age have this thing they call mine, and their vision is obtaining something and maintaining it as their own and not sharing it with anybody else. That's part of that's part of his vision. And it's it's what he values at that time and he will act on that. And if we want to change behavior in anybody and in our children, we have to give them a vision for something else. And sometimes that just means you can choose that or you can choose a spanking, but it's still a matter of vision. It's still what they value. And some children will say, that's okay, I'm willing to pay the cost, won't they? So here we are, we're talking about the activities of the church. Activities are always driven by vision and intention. And the vision I have proposed for the church, if you agree with it or not, is to operate as the demonstration of the life of Jesus Christ on earth, or the life of God on earth. That's the same thing. It's a shared life. If this is our vision for the purpose and function of the church, all other activities will need to support this vision. It will be consistent with that vision. If that's the vision that we adopt, then all of our activities as a church should support that. They should be designed to further it. Okay, so let's look at some of the activities listed in the New Testament. I want us to do a mental survey. Thinking of the New Testament, so let me tell you what I'm looking for. We're looking for directives, or what you might call admonitions to the church. Okay, a, a good clue of admonitions to the church is the word one another. Okay, so there's admonitions to individuals. There's admonitions to specific individuals, like like Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. That's to a specific individual. There's admonitions to individuals that could apply to all of us individually, and those have to do with things, often things with character issues, you know, to consider the members of your body as dead to sin, to immorality, impurity, evil passions, evil desires, I mean, passions and evil desires. These are individuals' admonitions. We can't do together. I consider Nathan's members of his body as dead, you know, to these things. That's something he has to do. So we're looking for admonitions to the church as the church. Okay, and the other thing is the positive statements. There are things we can also say, what should we not do? But what I'm asking for is the positive statements. What are the activities spelled out in the New Testament in which we should engage together? What do you think we'll see? Live at peace with one another. Maintain unity in the spirit. Love one another. Bearing with one another. Now, so far, all of these, we're going to end up asking the question, well, what does this look like? aren't we? But that's okay. So bearing with one another. What else? What else comes to mind? The edification of the body. Now some of these things we'll also ask ourselves now, is this the activity or the outcome of the activity? And it gets a little fuzzy, doesn't it? Building up of the body is another one that you think of edifying the body. This You start thinking, okay, wait a minute, is that an activity? What does that look like? Or is that an outcome of other activities? You know, that's okay. We're just going to keep putting these things out there. Okay, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Speak the truth in love. That's a very concrete thing. I mean, to get more concrete, Paul would have had to say, always talk about the weather. Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> he would have had to be what you should say. So that's very concrete. Serve one another. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Just as Christ 
God in Christ has forgiven you. And so this was, this was a challenge for me. So I went through on my electronic Bible online and I was highlighting different colors. And it's so cool when now that we have computer stuff, then I can just see the list of all the ones that were green, which was the church in action, and all the ones that were purple, which was the person in action. Speaking to one another um, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart with thanksgiving to God. You see, we have to drill down just one more level in a lot of these to get to something really concrete, don't we? What I want you to see here is that the only times that we see very, very specific actions is when Paul was trying to correct something. And we'll see some of those in the negatives, but we see some of those in the positives where we get to the manifest spirit. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Um, these are very specific things. And, and when he says, you know, let two or three at the most speak and let the others judge, this is, this is very specific, right? But he's trying to correct something that seemed to get, you know, kitty wampus. Don't make me define that, by the way. You know, it's out of whack. But most of these, what we see here, are normal interactions among people in community. How many of you are familiar with any commune type, you know, where people decided, hey, it's time that Christians come together and live with each other and actually, you know, try to do this second chapter of Acts stuff. Boy, I, that was one of the visions that I had. This is the Christian life. Let's all build a big something or another and have our meals together all the time. You know, the kids would just be not even clear who their parents were anymore. We're just so intertwined. Well, I was single. I didn't understand how those things really worked at the time, but I just thought, you know, one big happy family, that's what it's all about. They really had it figured out in the second chapter of Acts, you know. When they're bringing everything and they're making it all in one big pot and stirring it up, so what happens in these cases? If we don't know how to do community, more of it is not the answer. Okay? We'll just do it wrong more. So if you notice, what we're talking about, what you see, what you'll see here is that normal interactions among people in community with characteristics that are Christ-like. That's the admonitions to the church to do normal community stuff with characteristics that are Christ-like. The instructions to the church as a community primarily focus on the characteristics of how we do what we do, not or what we should do. That's where you find these things. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So it's not surprising to me, though, that we see the admonition for the demonstrable life of Christ on earth. Remember, that's the church. The demonstrable life of Christ here on earth it's not surprising to me that we would see the instructions to the demonstrable life of Christ here on earth to be live and engage in loving community. You know why that's not surprising? That's what the life of Jesus Christ has been doing before the world was even founded. Living and engaging in loving community. That's what the Godhead is about. All right, let me pray. Father... Our God and our Father in heaven, I just am so grateful to you that you have invited us to participate in the divine nature and that through your precious promises 
you have shown us that this is something that is available to us. And I just admit that to a large degree, I don't even really know how to do that. And I pray that you would, through your spirit that you have given to each one of us and to me, I pray that you would show me how to do that in a way that brings glory to you and actually represents you here on earth. And I pray that this church would be pleasing to you. These people here would be pleasing to you in the way that you desire to have us represent you and your life here on earth. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.